Well, again, uh, good morning and, uh, and welcome uh, this second Sunday of Advent, uh, which means that this is the second sermon in our Advent series, uh, where we're looking at the four Christmas songs uh, that we find uh, in the first two chapters of Beginning of the holiday season, I'm sure that uh, many, if not most of you, have begun watching some of those uh, Christmas classic, uh, those classics that are that are filled with such thought and depth and meaning and significance. And hopefully, among those is the modern classic Elf. That's right, Elf, the Will Ferrell masterpiece, where we learn the very important code of the elves. Three guidelines to promote Christmas spirit. Number one, treat every day like Christmas. Number two, there's room for everyone on the nice list. And the ever important number three, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Well, the gospel writer Luke really embraces number three. Uh, The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Because when when you get down to it, Luke's gospel, it's distinct from the other gospels in that, in part, he he begins the story of Jesus with these four Christmas songs. Uh, Four beautiful and profound songs of the Savior uh, that the church comes back to again and again during the season of Advent. And so last week, we took a look at Mary's song. Uh, this week, Zechariah's. Uh, next week, we'll look at the, the angel's song, and then we'll round it out the fourth Sunday of Advent, Christmas Eve morning, the song of Simeon. So today, Zechariah's song, uh, also known as the Benedictus, which means our text this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. And today, one of the things that we're going to see is the power of God's salvation to change people, to transform us. And I'm not just talking about those who have yet to believe and are brought to belief, but also those of us who already believe and yet still struggle to believe, still struggle to take God at His Word, which is all of us. And so that brings us to our passage, Luke chapter 1, Again, verses 57 through 80, Uh, but before we hear this part of God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Well, Lord God Almighty, we do thank You for coming to us, uh, for revealing Yourself to us in Jesus, for making Yourself known through Your Word, the living Word and the written Word. And we ask that now, please, would You open your word to us, and us to your word, that we might see Jesus, and in seeing him, be changed. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So here, the word of God, uh, this is Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. 
And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, you child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And this is God's Word. Well, today we're going we're to look at the passage according to the three sections that Luke has laid out. Uh, but very simply, uh, there's a birth, a blessing, and then another blessing. Uh, the birth of John the Baptist, uh, the blessing of our Savior, and then the blessing of a son. And so birth. Uh, let's begin with the birth of John the Baptist, uh, verses 57 through 66. And the story picks up, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Stop. We've got to stop right here. Because it is so easy to miss the magnitude of what is going on. It's so easy to miss the miracle in front of us because we are talking about a barren old woman. That's something that we, we learn in the first part of chapter 1. A barren old woman married to a very old man. 
both old enough to be great-grandparents, and yet they have never been able to have a child themselves. In fact, probably a dream, a hope that they had given up on decades ago. But as we saw last week, the angel said to Mary, when speaking to Mary about Elizabeth, the angel said, verse 36 of chapter 1, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And when you think about this woman, this barren old woman, and in particular in the culture in which she lived, not only did she have painful years of of shattered dreams, but, but also shame within the community, wondering about her own worth. And then suddenly, a, a seemingly impossible conception, followed by long months of, of pregnancy, and then hard hours of labor. And now, now the angel's promise. God's promise is fulfilled. The impossible has been made possible. Now, as I've shared before and even recently, my grandmother lived to the ripe old age of 101. And of course, anytime I read the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I think how crazy it would have been if my grandmother had been a barren old woman a few years earlier and living in assisted living in a small town and then had just given birth. Okay, it's, it is ridiculous. Absurd. And that's the point. It's the absurdity of grace. The absurdity of grace. And the angel, as as the angel foretold, Elizabeth gave birth to a son even in her old age. And so everyone, everyone was amazed. And so everyone came out to rejoice with her. Because the impossible had been made possible. Right in front of them, the promises of God are coming true. Well, the story continues, verse 59. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no. No, he shall be called John. Okay, so it's, it's the eighth day, and, and according to God's law, it's time for the baby boy to be circumcised, to be given the sign of the covenant uh, that, was, that God made uh, with Abraham. Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they believe God's promises of, of salvation. They trust in Him, and so according to God's law, they present their son to God. And as we see, it's also time for the baby boy to be given his name. And so, of course, everyone expects that it'll be Zechariah after his father, which, which was the custom. And I mean, come on, this is probably going to be your only child, so, like, give him the family name, right? You know, little, uh, little Zechariah Jr., little ZJ running around the house. That's what everybody expects. And Elizabeth says, no, his name is to be John. Of course, the family and friends object. I mean, ain't nobody in your family named John. So they turn. They turn to the husband. They turn to the father, expecting maybe he's going to be more reasonable. But notice verse 62. 
Notice that it takes some work to communicate with him. You remember why? Well, back at the very beginning of chapter 1, Zechariah was silenced by the angel. Silenced by the angel because he had not taken God at his word, not believed God's promise that he would have a son in his old age. And, And it's interesting to note that apparently Zechariah can neither hear nor speak. Okay, and in fact, that's what the Greek word connotes. So complete and total silence for at least nine months. So he can't hear as well as can't speak, or else the people would have spoken directly to him rather than than making hand gestures, rather than making signs. When Zechariah figures out what they're trying to communicate, he, he motions for a tablet, and he writes... Verse 63, his name is John. John, not a name chosen by Zechariah or Elizabeth. Definitely not a name approved by the family and friends, but rather a name given by God. And as you may know, in the Bible, names mean something. They're important. And so I want you to listen to how the names of Luke 1, just this first chapter, are already telling the gospel story in and of themselves. Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means God is faithful. John means God is merciful. And Jesus' name above all names means God saves. God remembers, God is faithful, God is merciful, God saves. And at the very moment that Zechariah writes the name John, his silence is ended and the celebration begins. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. That leads to the next section. So let's go there. A blessing. Let's move from the birth of John the Baptist to the blessing of our Savior, verses 67 through 75. So verse 67, we see that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, it says that he he sings praise and prophecy. And as uh, mentioned earlier, Zechariah's hymn is often called the Benedictus, a meaning blessed And verses 68 through 75 are known as the the Benedictus proper. And this is part of what Zechariah sings. Blessed be to the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, that we might be delivered. Well, like the Magnificat, uh, Mary's song, uh, which we looked at last week, uh, like the Magnificat, the Benedictus begins with a word of praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. 
Blessed be the Lord God for, for what? Well, for all that follows in these next few verses. And summarized in this opening statement. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has visited and redeemed His people. In other words, God has come near. God has come here. And given the events that have been unfolding, it's now clear to Zechariah that the promised time of salvation has begun. And so Zechariah blesses the Savior. And this blessing is all about salvation. All about salvation, with John as the forerunner, preparing the way for the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Well, we read verse 69 that God has raised up a what? A horn of salvation. Now, this is imagery. It comes comes from the Old Testament, uh, symbolizing an animal's strength and power. Uh, the horns of an ox or a ram. You know, it's kind of like the, the large uh, silver emblem on a Dodge truck out in, the, out in the parking lot. Okay, ram tough. That's what it's trying to get across, right? Something strong, powerful. You might argue if you're driving a Ford, but ram tough. Well, here's Zechariah's song. We see the mighty Savior. We see this horn of salvation who will turn and who will face his and our enemies with assertion and force, ultimately defending and defeating. Ultimately, ram tough for you and for me. A mighty Savior, a mighty salvation. Well, then verses 69 and 70, Zechariah sings of King David uh, and the ancient prophecies about God's Messiah, the Christ. Uh, then verses 71 to 73, Zechariah uh, reaches all the way back to Abraham, to God's holy covenant with Abraham, uh, promising that all nations would be saved through his son. Yes, it's all coming true. Zechariah realizes this is unfolding right in front of me. Jesus is the Savior, the Savior that God has promised from the very beginning. And Zechariah sings of God's gracious salvation as fulfillment of God's gracious promise. He blesses the Savior through a song of salvation. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, there's also another blessing. So let's shift to the the third and final part of our passage. The other blessing. Let's move to the blessing of a son. Verses 76 to 79. So after blessing the Savior, Zechariah now blesses his own son. And, And I want you to hear again this last part of Zechariah's song. And and as you hear it, I encourage you to keep in mind that that for for most of his life, again, this old man wasn't even sure he'd ever have a child. All of the the other priests that he served alongside most likely had children. He's old. He's never had a child. Again, something, a dream, a hope he had probably given up on decades ago. 
Then he's, he's promised a son by the angel Gabriel, doesn't take God at his word, is consequently silenced, a can't hear, can't speak. But now, his darkness gives way to light. Now, he has a child and a voice. I want you to imagine this old man's emotions as he looks down into the eyes of his baby boy and sings these words. Picking back up with verse 76. And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Beautiful, powerful words. Zechariah blesses his son John based on the very promises of God. Uh, heralding him as, as the forerunner, the prophet who would prepare the way for Jesus. And heralding that John would prepare the way by preaching the message of salvation. The message of salvation, which is the rest of this song. And so that begs the question then, what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? And in particular, what do we learn here in this passage about salvation? Well, the salvation proclaimed by Zechariah was not simply rescue from earthly enemies, but more importantly, deliverance from sin and death. Deliverance from that which destroys. Zechariah is singing that sin will not have the last word. Zechariah is singing in a world of darkness, that death will not have the last word. For John was called, and it says, and I quote, John was called to give knowledge of salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because you see, at the heart of salvation is the forgiveness of sins, leading to reconciliation with God and and life everlasting. More than anything else, what we need is a right relationship with God, which only comes through the forgiveness of sins. And forgiveness is ours through faith in Jesus. Forgiveness through the cross of Christ, through the death of Jesus for sinners like you and like me, that we might live. That sin might not have the last word, that death would not have the last word. When we put our trust in Jesus and His finished work on the cross, all sin is forgiven, and all because of the mercy of God. For as Zechariah sings, verse 78, it's all because of the tender mercy of our God. 
Does this strike a chord with you this morning? Or is it just all too familiar? I mean, just part of the good old Christmas story, but hey, what difference does it really make in my life? Does it make any difference? Well, I want you to think about the old man who sings these words. Zechariah knows very personally this forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of God. You see, earlier at the beginning of chapter 1, he is affirmed. He is affirmed as being a good, righteous, godly man, a faithful servant of God for many, many years. And yet, like you and like me, Zechariah still struggles. In a broken world, he still struggles to trust God, to, to take Him at His word. Again, the very reason that he's silenced. But even in the midst of his silent darkness, even in the midst of that, God remains faithful to Zechariah. Even in the midst of that darkness, God is with him and doing something in him. While the baby John is growing within the womb of Elizabeth, God is growing something inside of Zechariah. He is growing him in repentance, in faith, and a fresh obedience, and a renewed trust in God. He is growing even as an old man whose sight is declining. He is growing his vision to see the glory of God. Forgiving his sins because of His tender mercy. Well, friends, God remains faithful to you and to me, even in the darkness. No matter how dark it is in your life, God remains faithful to you. Because what does it say? Verses 78 and 79, the, the very end of this song. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Some are literally sitting in the shadow of death right now. For all of us, we still all struggle with darkness in our lives. Why? Because, well, we're sinful, broken people. We live in a fallen world, and there is still darkness. Well, if you think about the, just this season right now, you know, we're, we're, we're in a, a season of, it's a great season, and it's a season of great contrast, okay? Con contrast between light and darkness. I mean, literally, less daylight and longer nights. But the cool thing is, is that people everywhere this time of year, they put up lights, you know, lights outside, lights throughout our neighborhoods. In fact, I was just driving home the, the other night with, with one of my children from a choral concert, and, and we decided to take the long way through our neighborhood to just see all the beautiful lights on display at night. And it is a beautiful thing. But after we got home, it, it struck me. I, I realized that too often I'm just looking at the lights, at street level, the street level lights. And they're good and beautiful. They are. 
but they are not eternal. You see, too often we place our hope and we seek our joy in good things, but good things that are only temporal. Fleeting circumstances like health, relationships, finances. And of course, we all desire and should desire good health, stable finances, healthy relationships. But in a fallen, broken world, those things are ultimately fleeting. Because one day, we will all be silenced in our broken bodies. So too often, we are placing our hope looking for joy in those temporal things. At least I know I struggle with that. And what I see in this passage is I'm I'm reminded that, that we desperately need to look beyond the lights of our neighborhood streets. We need to look up. We need to look up. And so did did you know that, that on a clear day, obviously not today, but tomorrow, tomorrow's a clear day. Then on a, on a clear day, the furthest thing, of, the, of course, the furthest thing that we can see is the sun, right? You learn in school, 93 million miles away. But, but outside of that, the, the furthest that experts tell us that we can see with the naked eye is 62 miles, okay? The Kármán line, it's that, that boundary between Earth's atmosphere and outer space. But on the darkest of nights, when it's pitch black, What's the furthest thing you can see? It's the Andromeda galaxy. Experts tell us that with the naked eye, we can see the Andromeda galaxy. It is so brilliant, so bright, that we can see it even though it is 2.5 million light years away. 2.5 million light years. You can actually see much further when it's dark. And through Zechariah's song, God is inviting up, inviting us to look out of the darkness, to look up, to look above and beyond street level, to see further and deeper, and to see the light that is brighter. And in doing so, to be filled with true hope in the face of real darkness. And then to share that hope with the hurting world around us. For you see, in the midst of all of our struggles, our doubts, our uncertainties, all of our setbacks, our broken dreams, our fears, our failures, our our heartaches, all which are very real and painful, in the midst of our darkness, this song invites us to look up and to see Jesus, the bright morning star, to look to Him and to know the joy of sin forgiven and the sure and certain hope of all things made new. When He comes back, His second advent. For as God promises in Isaiah 60, the day is coming when, and I quote, the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended forever. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning 
shall be ended forever. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you this Christmas, yes, look around and enjoy all the beauty at street level around us, but allow it to do what God intends it to do, and that is to to point our eyes upward, that we might embrace the deeper reality of the gospel, that we might embrace the great blessing of Jesus, who has visited and redeemed His people, and who is coming back to bring the fullness of joy, the fullness of life, the fullness of light. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, how we thank You that You are the light of the world. We come to You in the midst of our own darkness and look to You, that light, and we thank You that You have provided a way for us to see. That You have provided the way for the forgiveness of sins leading to reconciliation with God. We thank You for the promise of Your second advent that a day is coming when all that is broken will be made right. And so we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you clearly and to trust in your unfailing love. Amen.